The Trump administration doubles down on the trade war with China, Democrats defend anti-Semitism as usual, and Bill Nye lectures Americans about global warming. I'm Ben Shapiro, this is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, a lot to get to today, a lot in the news. We'll get to all of it in just a second. First, vitamins, supplements, these things can be confusing. Persona, they take the guesswork out of it. One of our employees here at The Daily Wire, Jared, he takes Persona vitamins in the morning and in the evening. He filled out the online assessment. He indicated he wanted the vegetarian formula. Some of the personalized supplements in his order include green tea extract for energy support and digestive enzymes as part of the happy gut formula. The packaging it comes in is sleek, simple, innovative. There are separate packs for every morning and every evening, so you know exactly what you need to take each and every day. So here's how you get started. You take a three to five minute assessment and find out exactly what you need. You get recommendations based on your goals, lifestyle, allergies, special diets, prescription meds. Convenient vitamin packets are then delivered to your door every month. Persona checks for over 850 medications against their database of supplements, and they recommend that this is to ensure that there are no negative interactions. Persona offers over 90 different supplements, which create 5 trillion possible combinations. They personalize your recommendation specifically for you. Again, someone on my team, Jared, uses Persona. He loves it. I've looked at all of the specs on the website. It's really easy. You're going to love it as well. Right now, whether you want to sleep better, have more energy, or simply stay as young as you can, my listeners can go to personanutrition.com Shapiro. That's P-E-R-S-O-N-A nutrition.com Shapiro. Get 50% off your order today. It's five minutes that can change your health. Personanutrition.com Shapiro. Get 50% off your order today. Alrighty, so the big story of the day, and really the big story of the last several months, is the fact that the United States is effectively in a trade war with China. I know, this is boring stuff. I know people don't want to talk about trade policy. They don't really want to talk about the economy when the economy seems to be booming. But the fact is that if there is one factor that is going to impact the 2020 election that nobody is talking about, it is the possibility of a trade war with China. Now, as I've said, there are two ways of viewing this trade war with China. Way number one, President Trump is playing chicken with the Chinese. He is trying to emphasize over and over and over that tariffs are wonderful, tariffs are fine, because he's trying to get China to crumble. He's trying to put a brick on the accelerator in this game of chicken and demonstrate that he has pre-committed to doing whatever he has to do to get them to cave. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two is that President Trump actually kind of likes tariffs. Now, the reason that possibility number two is probably more probable is because over the course of Trump's career, he's been very clear that he likes tariffs. He likes the idea of using trade barriers. He thinks that economies are stronger when you put up protective barriers around domestic industry. Now, this happens not to be true. Economics 101 teaches you that if you are to prevent the importation of cheaper products and cheaper inputs from other places, you're actually taxing your own consumers. Think about this in your own daily life. Let's say that you run a carpentry shop, and let's say that there's a grocery in town, and you spend a lot of money at the grocery every month, but they are not buying your goods. Now, theoretically, you could say to the grocery, listen, I'm not going to shop at your grocery until you start buying the kind of shelves that I build. And maybe that works, in which case, that was a good use of tariffs. Maybe, instead, or it is possible that if they are not going to buy your carpentry anyway, or if they have no intention of doing so or being pressured into it, all you are doing by refusing to buy from the grocery is making sure that you're going to spend more money on groceries. You haven't damaged them. You've really only hurt yourself. You've hurt them a little bit. You've hurt yourself a lot more because in terms of relative cost, depriving your consumers of cheaper products and better products is a way of damaging your tax-paying base. That's exactly what happens when you tariff a country. So there better be another reason that you are actually using the tariff. It can't just be for the purpose of strengthening the economy. Now, the problem that I have with President Trump's talk about tariffs is that it fails to acknowledge the reality. The reality is that every tariff must be a game of chicken or it is just damaging to domestic industry. If you're just tariffing other countries, 
all you are doing is forcing your taxpayers to pay higher prices for products that are imported or for competitive goods produced in the United States that no longer have to lower their price to compete with those foreign imports. So for example, President Trump, he says, listen, we're in a very good position. Everything is fine. Everything's going to be fine. Tariffs are great. The bottom line is uh, we are taking in tremendous amounts of money. It already started as of last Friday, but it really started seven months before that. It's in the form of tariffs or taxes, and it had a tremendous impact. If you looked at the first quarter, which is always historically the worst quarter, we were at 3.2%. People were very surprised. Well, a lot of that was the tariffs that we were taking in from China. So we're in a very good position. And I think it's only going to get better. Hey, the idea that we are making money hand over fist thanks to tariffs is simply not true. The tax is actually not on Chinese producers. The tax is on American consumers. President Trump has been tweeting out consistently about this and inaccurately about this. He tweeted out, in one year, tariffs have rebuilt our steel industry. It is booming. We placed a 25% tariff on dumped steel from China and other countries, and we now have a big and growing industry. We had to save steel for our defense and auto industries, both of which are coming back strong. So first of all, steel tariffs actually harm the auto industry because the auto industry prefers to have cheaper steel rather than more expensive steel. As for the idea that we have to have steel capacity for our defense, we do have steel capacity. We had steel capacity before the tariffs, and it was plenty for our defense. Finally, as, as far as the notion that the tariffs placed on the steel industry of China have somehow benefited American domestic producers in steel. There's not a lot of evidence to support that. According to the New York Times, as of January, in the 10 months since the Trump administration imposed 25% steel tariffs on steel imports, prices in the United States have fallen back to levels last seen before the tariffs were announced on March 1st. Hiring in the steel sector remains stagnant, in part because new mills have become reliant on automation. Even with the opening and restarting of several mills last year, direct steel industry employment was 146,000 people as of November, 4% lower than it was four years ago, according to the American Iron and Steel Institute. Industry analysts estimate that steel company, estimate that steel companies made 50 announcements of plans for new mills and investments last year, and that three dozen plants were built or restarted. But investors are increasingly wary of the industry's long-term strength because stock prices are in fact dropping. They dropped by as much as 47% in 2018 amid fears of slowing global economic growth. It doesn't matter if you're protecting a domestic industry if there's nobody who has the money to buy your stuff. Trade wars, in fact, are generally not good or easy to win. And Beijing has more of an interest, frankly, in demonstrating strength than the United States does. Because the fact is that it is a Communist Party regime that requires the fear of its people in order to move forward. That means that, at the very least, if they're going to make concessions, they have to save face. If they were just to surrender to President Trump, they're going to look bad in front of their own folks. According to Newstimes.com, the U.S. the U.S. trade war continues to heat up with Beijing calling for a people's war against Washington and President Trump threatening to impose tariffs on another $300 billion worth of Chinese goods. In a series of editorials and op-ed articles published on Monday, Chinese state media slammed what it labeled the Trump administration's greed and arrogance and called for a people's war against it. Beijing's state-run media effectively serves as a mouthpiece for the Communist Party. The important thing is that in a U.S.-China trade war, the U.S. sides with greed f greed and arrogance, and morale will break at any point. The Chinese side is fighting back to protect its legitimate interests, according to the nationalistic Global Times tabloid, which is effectively a government newspaper over there. The trade war in the U.S. is the creation of one person and one administration, but it affects that country's entire population. In China, the entire country and all its people are being threatened. For us, this is a real people's war. Now, maybe the idea is that this war is worthwhile and that there will be domestic costs, but we should understand that China is, in fact, an international threat. That's an argument I am very warm to. That's an argument that I sort of agree with. 
And that is also an argument that is being made by Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, who's at least being honest with the American people about what's going on. Tariffs are not good for the American economy. They are not good for American domestic producers. This is particularly true in the farming industry. American farmers are feeling it right on the chin because our chief export to China is indeed farming stuffs, soybeans, corn. I mean, that's the sort of stuff. So Senator Cotton at least makes a solid case. His case is, listen, we're going to feel some temporary pain, but that temporary pain is in service of a long-term goal. That's being honest. I prefer honesty from my politicians. Here's Senator Cotton. So these tariffs are going to end up hurting both Chinese and some Americans. I'll grant you that. Uh, I think they'll ultimately hurt the Chinese more than they will Americans, in part because Chinese companies and their government have been cheating the United States for so long. There will be some sacrifice on the part of Americans. I grant you that. But I also would say that that sacrifice is pretty minimal compared to the sacrifices that our soldiers make overseas, that our fallen heroes who are laid to rest in Arlington make. Okay, well, obviously... That is that is true. I think that if you are going to talk about China and, and tariffing them, you need to talk about the threat that China actually presents on a global scale. That's something that Trump has not yet sold to the American people. So if there is an economic downturn due to the tariffs, Trump is going to feel it on the chin politically. He's endangering his own presidency without making a very solid case for why these tariffs are necessary. And if they are necessary, then just make the case. Uh, Trump continues to promote the idea that tariffs are good. He says, China buys much less from us than we buy from them by almost $500 billion. So we are in a fantastic position. Make your product at home in the USA and there is no tariff. You can also buy from a non-tariffed country instead of China. Many companies are leaving China, so they will be more competitive for U.S. buyers. We are now a much bigger economy than China and have substantially increased in size since the great 2016 election. We are the piggy bank. Everyone wants to raid and take advantage of. No more. Well, again, Tariffs are a way of raiding the piggy bank on behalf of certain protected industries in the United States, unless you are making the case that we are, in effect, in a de facto foreign conflict with China, in which case sacrifices must be made. But you got to make that case. Trump says we can make a deal with China tomorrow before their companies start leaving so as not to use, lose USA business. But the last time we were close, they wanted to renegotiate the deal. No way. We are in a much better position now than any deal we could have made. We'll be taking in billions of dollars and moving jobs back to USA where they belong. Other countries are already negotiating with us because they don't want this to happen to them. They must be part of USA action. This should have been done by our leaders many years ago. Enjoy. Now, it is worthwhile pointing out here that if you actually want to create a trade cordon around China, there was something that was called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. There were flaws in it as negotiated by the Obama administration, but simply ducking out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was a trade block designed to, fo to foil China. There's a bunch of countries near China, but not including China. Dumping that actually gave China a regional advantage in making one-on-one -on -one deals with countries that surround it. Trump says, when the time is right, we will make a deal with China. My respect and friendship with President Xi is unlimited. But as I have told him many times before, this must be a great deal for the United States or it just doesn't make any sense. We have to be allowed to make up some of the tremendous ground we have lost to China on trade since the ridiculous one-sided formation of the WTO. It will all happen much faster than people think. And then he gets to what is, I think, his most ridiculous contention. We'll get to that in just one second. First, no one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy. I'm busy. Who's got time for all that traffic, parking, lugging, all your mail and packages? It is a real hassle. And that's why you need Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. 
Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in the mailbox. It is indeed that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. So Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time, it saves you money. There's a reason I use it personally. There's a reason we use it here at the Daily Wire offices, because we like to be smart and efficient. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com, enter Shapiro. Go check it out right now. Stamps.com, enter code Shapiro. All right, so President Trump's most ridiculous statement about this, this trade war. Again, a case can be made for the trade war, but you first have to explain why we are effectively at war with China and then why the American people must make sacrifices. Instead, President Trump keeps promoting the idea that everything is fine, and that's whistling past the economic grave here. Trump says, our great patriot farmers will be one of the biggest beneficiaries of what is happening now. Hopefully, China will do us the honor of continuing to buy our great farm product the best. But if not, your country will be making up the difference based on a very high China buy. This money will come from the massive tariffs being paid to the United States for allowing China and others to do business with us. The farmers have been forgotten for many years. Their time is now. Okay, that's, that's a hard sell right here because U.S. farmers are feeling the brunt of this. So what is Trump going to do? Use American taxpayer dollars to pay subsidies to farmers? According to the Associated Press, China's announcement on Monday of higher tariffs on $60 billion of American exports hit particularly hard in the farm belt. These are the areas specifically that President Trump does need to win in 2020 if he hopes to retain the presidency. Since December, when U.S. and China negotiators called a truce to tariffs and began signaling an agreement might be reached, soybean farmers had been holding out hope that sales to China would resume. The farmers had been storing a record stockpile of nearly 1 billion bushels. The latest round of new tariffs spooked the financial markets and some farmers who had been tentatively optimistic. In a statement on Monday, the American Soybean Association said, quote, that they said that they reacted with frustration edged with anxiety. John Heisdorfer, a soybean farmer in Iowa, who's chairman of the ASA, said, quote, the sentiment out in the farm country is getting grimmer by the day. Our patience is waning, our finances are suffering, and the stress from months of living with the consequences of these tariffs is mounting. And the fifth year of low prices basically for crops, according to many of these farmers. So President Trump, if you're going to make the case that Americans ought to sacrifice, you have to explain what exactly they are sacrificing for. Otherwise, President Trump runs into the danger of seeming enthusiastic about a policy that is actually harming Americans in a very serious way. If you want Americans to make a sacrifice, explain why they are making the sacrifice. If not, then expect to feel the political brunt of all of this. Okay, with all of that said, the Democratic Party continues to push forward with its own radicalism. Their latest evidence of radicalism is the defense of Rashida Tlaib. So the the Democratic Party is quickly becoming the Jeremy Corbyn party in Great Britain. They're quickly becoming the Labor Party. They are willing to defend anything so long as it is said by an intersectional woke personality. Today's example is not Representative Ilhan Omar, who continues to say anti-Semitic things every five minutes and 37 seconds or so, but Rashida Tlaib, who way back in December, November of last year, suggested that all supporters of Israel suffered from dual loyalty and were actually loyal to Israel, not to the United States. And then over the weekend, she was on a Yahoo News podcast where she explained that she is very proud of Palestinian behavior during the Holocaust and that Israel only exists because of the Holocaust. A lot of people are saying that this is not anti-Semitic, it's just ahistorical. That's the case being made by Michael Oren, the former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. I think he is wrong. I will explain why. Here's Rashida Tlaib, and here's what she says. There's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks, when I think of 
the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post um, the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific um, persecution of Jews across the world at that time. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. Okay, her ancestors do not provide any of that. This is a historical. It's a historical in the extreme. And in its ahistoricity, it supports an anti-Semitic narrative that is being pushed by Rashida Tlaib and others. The anti-Semitic narrative goes something like this. The Jews have no inherent connection to the land of Israel. The Jews are, in fact, basically a, a group of parasites who were given this place in the Middle East on the backs of Palestinians who suffered, specifically because of the mass murder of Jews in Germany. And the Palestinians are the true victims when it comes to world history because the world cared about the Jews enough to give them a place in the middle of Palestinian land. Jews could have been put anywhere, but they were put there specifically because the world didn't care about the Palestinians, right? This is the narrative that she is attempting to push. And the Palestinians were kind-hearted, and then Israel abused them. All of this is sheer nonsense. That's an anti-Semitic narrative because it is not, not only is it not true, it is designed at the extermination of the state of Israel, a cause that Rashida Tlaib supports. She is in favor of, this, of a so-called one-state solution in which all the Palestinians, as well as any quote-unquote Palestinian refugees from abroad, go back to the land of Israel and then are given full citizenship rights to vote. Many of these people have never set foot in the state of Israel. Many of them are Syrian. Many of them are Egyptian. The idea would be the destruction of the state of Israel as a Jewish state, the only Jewish state on planet Earth. Now, as Michael Lawrence says, it's a historical, but it's not just a historical. It is whitewashing Palestinian behavior during and before the Holocaust. And that is what this is. Israel and the Jewish connection with the land of Israel goes back 3,000 years. That is nothing new. It was not created in the aftermath of the Holocaust. Not only that, but it was Palestinian Arab intransigence that led to the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of Jews who were attempting to escape Europe. Palestinian Arabs tried to force the British mandate to refuse the, the acceptance of Jewish refugees from Europe into British mandate Palestine. Leading the way was Hajj, was Hajj Muhammad al-Husseini. Okay, this would be the, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was a, was a Nazi ally. In the middle of the Holocaust, a, a letter was written by Heinrich Himmler, the SS commander who was responsible for the implementation of the Holocaust. And he wrote him this letter to the Grand Mufti, Amin al-Husseini. The National Socialist Movement of the Greater German Reich has since its inception upheld the fight against world Jewry. It is for this reason that it closely follows the struggle of the freedom-seeking Arabs, and particularly in Palestine, against the Jewish invaders. The common recognition of the enemy and the joint struggle against it is what creates the firm foundation between Germany and freedom-seeking Muslims around the world. In this spirit, I am pleased to convey to you on the anniversary of the execrable Balfour Declaration, which is a recognition that there was a, a state of Israel in the works since 1917 legally. Warm wishes for your continued struggle until this great victory, Reichsfuhrer SS Heinrich Himmler. That's Hajimin al-Husseini. Hajimin al-Husseini visited Germany. He sat down with Hitler. If you're watching the video, you can actually see pictures of him sitting with Hitler, standing and saluting all the German troops, giving the Heil Hitler hand salute. This, this was the leader of the Palestinian population in the middle of World War II, and long before World War II. Because in April 1920, as is written by Edie Cohen 
over at thetower.org. In April 1920, the victorious Allied powers convened in San, Re San Remo, Italy, to negotiate a peace treaty with Turkey. As a direct result, Britain was handed the mandate for Palestine, previously domain of the Ottoman Empire, with the understanding that London would now make good on its commitment to a Jewish national home, as underlined by the Balfour Declaration in November of 1917. In 1919, Haj Amin al-Husseini, a prominent scion of the al-Husseini clan, which was agitating for violent conflict against the Jews and the British, began organizing small groups of terrorists to harass and attack Palestine's Jews. One year later, as the Allies were debating at San Remo, al-Husseini instigated anti-Jewish riots in Jerusalem during the intermediate days of the Passover festival. Six Jews murdered, more than 200 wounded during an orgy of destruction. The British arrested him, but a year later, the newly installed British High Commissioner, Herbert Samuel, eager to dampen tensions, pardoned al-Husseini and appointed him to the post of Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Samuel could not have been more wrong. As a direct consequence of Britain's empowerment of him as Mufti, al-Husseini was emboldened in pursuing the aim of violently removing the Jewish presence in Palestine. Over the following two decades, al-Husseini's hardened anti-Semitic worldview, together with his determination to extinguish any prospect of the Balfour Declaration's promise from being realized, made him a natural Middle Eastern ally of Germany's Nazi regime once it, once it launched its war of conquest and genocide in 1939. Within three weeks of his first meeting with Samuel, al-Husseini orchestrated riots in Petah Tikva and Yafo, which resulted in the murders of 43 Jews. This continued for years. And because of, his, because of his stumping against the Jews, the British colonial secretary, Malcolm MacDonald, issued an infamous white paper in May 1939 that set Britain's policy on the course of appeasing Arab desires. Denounced in the House of Commons by Winston Churchill, as a moral blow, the White Paper limited Jewish entry into British Palestine to 75,000 over the next five years on the eve of the Holocaust. And then al-Husseini pledged support for the Nazis and pledged support effectively for the Holocaust and encouraged Hitler to actually engage in a Holocaust in the Middle East if Hitler were to conquer British Palestine. Uh, al-Husseini was an evil piece of human debris, an evil, evil man. And he was also instrumental in the launch of an Arab war of extermination against the nascent Jewish state in 1947 and 1948. That is the actual history here. So, is what Talib said anti-Semitic? I'll explain in just a second. First, we the people holsters offer custom-made holsters, all produced in the United States. They design their own holsters in-house. That means they don't use any third-party molds for their holsters. Instead, they design every single unique mold in Las Vegas in order to best fit each and every firearm perfectly. They constantly update designs. They add new designs every month, and that lets them stay up to date on the newest models that come out. We the People holsters even have their own 3D design team who measures every micromillimeter of their guns to ensure the perfect fit. Their unique intuitive clip design allows for you to easily adjust both the cant and the ride of your holster so it will fit comfortably and securely at all times. Every holster also has an adjustable retention, which is signaled with a click sound, and that lets you know that your firearm is securely in place, which is pretty important. You ever want more tension? You tighten one screw, you're done. Custom printed designs in-house, thin blue line, thin red line, constitution, camouflage, an American flag, and more come out every single month. We the People holsters, they start at just 37 bucks a piece. And every holster comes with a lifetime guarantee, which is a great price for a lifetime guaranteed fantastic holster. Every holster ships free. If it's not a perfect fit, you send it back for a refund. I myself own a Smith & Wesson 9mm, and I have a We the People holster. It is fantastic. Right now, listeners of The Ben Shapiro Show can go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Ben, enter promo code Ben at checkout to get $10 off their first holster. That's as low as 37 bucks. Shipping is free with an additional 10 bucks off, so 27 bucks. Using my promo code again, that's wethepeopleholsters.com slash Ben, promo code Ben at checkout for $10 off. Okay, so what Talib says is deeply ahistorical, but it's not just ahistorical. Okay, let's imagine that there was an American politician and they were talking about the institution of slavery in the United States. And what they actually said is, I'm just so grateful 
to the slaveholders of the South. Because if it weren't for the slaveholders of the South, then black people in America never would have gained their freedom. If it weren't for brutal slaveholders in the South, you know, whipping slaves, separating families, treating people as property, then blacks never would have been able to gain their freedom. You would say, okay, that's not just a historical. You are now whitewashing some of the most evil people to have lived in the United States. Well, that's what Tlaib is doing. And she's not only doing that, she's also, she's also attempting to pretend that there is no connection between the Jews and the state of Israel. Now, this has become a common left trope, is that the Holocaust is the only reason that there is a Jewish state of Israel. Again, that is a historical nonsense. The Balfour Declaration in 1917 pledged a Jewish state that, by the way, included Jordan originally. And so that, that preexisted the Holocaust by a solid three decades. Nonetheless, that, that push is to delegitimize the state of Israel and claim that the real owners of the land are the Palestinians who never had a state in the region. There was never an independent state of Palestine, an independent Arab state of Palestine. It was always dominated by the Ottoman Empire. There was no idea of quote-unquote Palestinian identity, Palestinian Arab identity. Palestinians, historically speaking, were actually known as Jews. The Palestine Post was the original name for the Jerusalem Post. So that's not to say there weren't inhabitants of the land of Israel who were Arabs. There were, but there were also inhabitants of the land of Israel who were Jews. And when it came time for the divvying of the land, the, the land of Jordan was given to the Arabs. The West Bank and Gaza Strip were originally given to the Arabs. That deal was accepted by the Jews. It was rejected by the Arabs, and several wars of extermination have been launched by the Arab states surrounding Israel ever since. So when she attempts to wipe out the Jewish nature of the state of Israel, understand that this is part of a broader agenda that Rashida Tlaib has been pursuing in coordination with her boycott, divestment, sanctions, support. Okay, now, you have to know that because we have to parse what she said that's anti-Semitic from what she said that is not anti-Semitic. So people are jumping on some of the language that she uses in that quote. Right? People are jumping, I think, incorrectly on the language that she uses with regard to, quote-unquote, she feels a calming aspect with regard to the Holocaust. Now, I don't think, honestly speaking, that she was saying that the Holocaust calms her. And I don't think that's what she is saying there. I think it's pretty obvious from her verbiage that what she is actually saying is that she feels a calming notion about how Palestinians have been treated when she creates this fictional history in her head in which Palestinian Arabs were wonderfully welcoming to Jews and didn't seek to exterminate them as soon as the Jewish state of Israel was created and, frankly, before. Right? So her, her false sense of history allows her to believe that, that she and her ancestors were the good guys in this particular narrative, and that's calming to her. I don't think that she's saying that the Holocaust is calming. But the narrative is itself supportive of an anti-Semitic narrative, and she knows that. She knows that. So this led President Trump to tweet about it, and he tweeted, uh, he tweeted, quote, Democrat Representative Tlaib is being slammed for her horrible and highly insensitive statement on the Holocaust. She obviously has tremendous hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. Can you imagine what would happen if I ever said what she said and says? This is eminently correct. What President Trump says is totally correct here. Okay, and then Liz Cheney tweets, House Republican, Surely now Speaker Pelosi and Leader Hoyer will finally take action against the vile anti-Semitism in their ranks. This must cross the line even for them. Rashida Tlaib says thinking of the Holocaust provides her a calming feeling. Okay, now this is less accurate. So President Trump's tweet is more accurate. Liz Cheney's tweet is taking Tlaib out of context. That doesn't change the fact that what Tlaib said is anti-Semitic, but that is pointing out anti-Semitism where it doesn't exist in the quote and ignoring anti-Semitism where it does exist in the quote. But overall, is Rashida Tlaib an anti-Semite? Of course she's an anti-Semite. She's, she's not been hiding this. She, very early on in her, in her tenure, she posted a picture from her office of a post-it note on a map that pointed to the entire land of Israel and said Palestine. She invited people who are for the complete destruction of the state of Israel to her inauguration, to her swearing in. And there's, there, there's a bunch of articles online about all of her immediate friends 
and what they have to say about the state of Israel. This is certainly somebody who is extraordinarily comfortable in the context of anti-Semitism. And you can see how comfortable she is. Tamika Mallory defended Rashida Tlaib. Tamika Mallory uh, is herself an anti-Semite who meets with Louis Farrakhan, who, who defends Louis Farrakhan. She says, leave Rashida Tlaib alone. She fights hard every day. She's full of passion and a commitment to the most marginalized people, the kind of leader we need. And then Rashida Tlaib tweets back the fist emoji. We can't allow the GOP to silence us. Nobody's trying to silence Rashida Tlaib. She can say whatever she wants. I think she should say whatever she wants. I think the Democratic Party should be exposed for the pandering fools they are when it comes to this particular issue. But the fact that, that she's retweeting an open anti-Semite like Tamika Mallory kind of says what you need to say. And then, of course, you have Ilhan Omar coming out and defending. She tweets out, you praised people at a neo-Nazi rally. This is what she says about President Trump. We don't have to imagine. Okay, so even that cuts against her point. So President Trump did not, in fact, praise neo-Nazis and white supremacists. He did not. Okay? He actually denounced them at that famous Charlottesville press conference. My criticism of President Trump on Charlottesville is that he was not clear in his original, in his original statement. And then in his follow-up statement, he himself created a historical fiction where there were these wonderful people who were marching with the white supremacists at Charlottesville. But he did not, in fact, praise neo-Nazis. But Ilhan Omar's statement, even if we take it at face value, does not prove her point. Right? Trump is saying, imagine what would happen if I said something similar. And she says, we don't have to imagine. You did say something similar. Right, there was blanket media coverage, and for three years, all we have heard is that President Trump is basically a neo-Nazi supporter. And yet, Ilhan Omar is making the case that if Rashida Tlaib says the same thing, we should not treat her similarly. And then Ilhan Omar goes exactly where she always goes. This is Islamophobia. So if you quote Rashida Tlaib accurately, and you ac accurately characterize her statements, then this is a form of Islamophobia. He says, this, she says, this is another transparent attempt to sow division between minority communities and distract from your own criminal behavior by smearing a Muslim woman. Okay, again, if we are talking about sowing division between minority communities, namely Muslims and Jews, which I assume she's talking about here, the person sowing divisions would be anti-Semites like Ilhan Omar and people like Rashida Tlaib and the Democratic leadership. So Nancy Pelosi comes out in defense of all of this. So does Steiny Hoyer. Both of them suggest that President Trump ought to apologize to Rashida Tlaib, which is an insane contention. Steiny Hoyer defended Tlaib also. Basically, they are picking on the Republicans who went too far by focusing on the calming aspect of the, of the quote from Rashida Tlaib. And they are ignoring the fact that Rashida Tlaib actually did say something that is so ahistorical as to amount to part of an anti-Semitic narrative, which is, which is accurate. Speaker Pelosi said, Republicans' desperate attempts to smear Representative Rashida and misrepresent her comments are outrageous. President Trump should apologize to Representative Tlaib. So it's pretty obvious that the Democrats have decided to completely fall for the, fall for the ruse here. They are now, they're now in for a penny and they're in for a pound. That means that no matter what Tlaib says, no matter what Omar says, I mean, they're, they, they bought a ticket and they're going to take the ride. And they ought to take the ride because they are backing anti-Semites, open anti-Semites at this point. Now, if American Jews choose not to see that, that says more about their commitment to Judaism than it does about the health of the Democratic Party. If you are a member of a party that is consistently rooting for and covering for people who call for the extermination of the largest group identity that is possible inside your group, right? The state of Israel is the Jewish state. It is the, it is the greatest collective of Jews on planet Earth right now. If you are okay with that, then that says more about you than it does about the Democratic Party. So don't quote to me, oh, well, many Jews are going to continue to vote for the Democratic Party. I don't care. That doesn't change the principle at stake. That's an, uh, that, that's an absurd defense. The Democratic Party has chosen where it stands on all of this. So of the media, by the way, in a second, I'm going to show you Seth Meyers, who demonstrates just what a pathetic hack he is. We'll get to that in just one second. First, go over to dailywire.com for $9.99 a month. You can 
Get a subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get two additional hours of the show every afternoon. We are, we are working our fingers to the bone for you. And so you should go check us out over there. Also, you can get our Sunday specials on Saturday. We have a great Sunday special coming up this week. I can't announce who the guest is. Suffice it to say, it's pretty awesome. You can check that out. You get a day early. You get extra questions behind the paywall. You get to ask me questions during the mailbag segments. All sorts of goodies. Plus, in July, we're bringing all sorts of new goodies. I can't even tell you about those, lest my business partner get angry at me. But you should go check that out as well. $9.99 a month or $99 a year. You get this. The leftist here is hot or cold tumbler. You can see it. You can cast your visage upon it. You can enjoy it. Go check it out right now. So do all of those things. Also subscribe at YouTube and iTunes. Give us a listen. Give us a review. We always appreciate it. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty. So let's talk for a second about the media coverage of Rashida Tlaib. So it's pretty obvious where the media in the United States stand. Where they stand is on the side of Democrats, even if those Democrats are endorsing anti-Semitism. Okay, the Washington Post, here's their headline. House Republicans criticize Representative Tlaib over remarks on Holocaust Israel. Every time Democrats say something terrible, the media cover it as Republicans respond to X. Every time Democrats do something really bad, it's Republicans pounce. This is a point of high irritation for most Republicans as well it should be. It is vile. The fact that so many members of the media are more focused on Republican responses to bad things that are said than they are focused on the, the comments themselves is demonstrative of exactly where the media stand. I don't remember a single headline that said Democrats pounce on Representative Steve King after comments on race. I don't remember a single headline like that. It was all Steve King says something insane and ridiculous and disgusting about white nationalism, right? That's all the headlines were. So they're accurate when it comes to Republicans. They're wildly inaccurate when it comes to Democrats. Has a Democrat ever said something that is worthy of its own headline? Or is the only thing that matters attacking Republicans for attacking Democrats? The fact the media continue to play this game it makes their game absolutely clear. It's all gotcha politics designed to come after one side of the political aisle, which unfortunately is all too common in the left media. It's not honest conversation about what people have actually said and what they are actually attempting to say. Instead, it is an attempt all too often to cast aspersions at the conservative side of the aisle. And it's, it's, not, just, it's not just the Washington Post, it's Seth Meyers. So Seth Meyers, just a week ago, had on Meghan McCain. And he tried to browbeat her. He called her an Islamophobe for quoting Ilhan Omar. He suggested that she was responsible for incitement against Ilhan Omar. Now, I have some personal stake in this sort of thing. I've had a rough couple of weeks, particularly because of this FBI arrest of a person who's threatening to shoot me and my family in the head. I don't remember a single article or question about quote-unquote incitement against me. And as I said, and have been saying, I don't think that you can charge someone with quote-unquote incitement against me, even if they're saying nasty things about me, unless they are openly calling for violence or implying that people should do me violence. And yet, I don't remember anybody on the left saying any of those things. The left will say that Ilhan Omar says she's getting threats. Therefore, it's Donald Trump's fault. Therefore, Islamophobia. Meghan McCain, why can't you behave better? You and your quotes. How dare you? Seth Meyers has become a full-time Democratic Party hack. I remember when he was supposed to be a comedian. Now, he is hosting Rashida Tlaib on her worldwide anti-Semitism defense tour. Here's Rashida Tlaib explaining that in reality, she has to just speak to people as though they're really stupid so people, so racists understand her. 
I want all of us to feel safe. All of us deserve human dignity. No matter our backgrounds, no matter our ethnicity, no matter even our political opinions, we all need deserve that kind of equality and justice. And, uh, you know, for me, I wanted to uplift that and, and bring that to light. And it was unfortunate. You know, I got a text message from a friend who's like, hey, next time, you know, really clarify, maybe talk like a fourth, fourth grader because maybe the racist idiots would understand you better. Oh, yeah. The next time you have to clarify, speak like speak like a child so that so that the racist idiot. Here's the thing. Every fourth grader understands what Rashida Tlaib is doing. She's engaging in anti-Semitic slurs. She always engages in anti-Semitic slurs. This is part of her shtick. This is also true for El Hanamar. The fact that Seth Meyers has her on and then defends her and talks about how she's the victim tells you what you need to know about Seth Meyers, about about late night TV, about Stephen Colbert, about Jimmy Kimmel. The media are so stacked in favor of the Democratic Party that they, they cannot root out anyone in their midst. It's funny. I have a, a friend on the left. She writes for a leftist publication. And I think that she tends to be an intellectually honest person, even though she and I disagree on politics a lot. I, I don't even think she would describe herself as part of the left. That's my characterization, not hers. But she is constantly talking about how the Republican Party does a bad job of rooting out its own. The Republican Party can always do a better job of finding people who are saying bad things and then forcing them to back down or rooting them out. But has the Democratic Party ever done that? Ever. I mean, really, ever. When's the last time the Democratic Party said that someone had, had said something so vile they had to go? The only example I can think of really is Cynthia McKinney. And that was way back in the early 2000s. So it's been about 20 years since the Democratic Party actually cared about taking people who said terrible things and then casting them out. Now, they're more interested in embracing those people for the sake of intersectional identity politics than they are in making sure that their party actually represents fundamentally good principles. That's why the Democratic Party is defending Rashida Tlaib, and that's why Seth Meyers and his clapter routine, it's not even laughter anymore, it's just clapter. And people clapping for him with few laughs. That's why his routine is becoming increasingly popular. It's a woke-off on late-night television, and that's why you have Seth Meyers attacking Meghan McCain, who does a good job, and praising Rashida Tlaib, who is an anti-Semite. Okay, meanwhile, the Democratic Party continues to push more and more radical proposals their best hope at the White House in 2020 is, again, an implosion by President Trump, not that the American people are ready to embrace these ideas. Bernie Sanders is desperately flailing for attention. Since Joe Biden jumped into the race, he has been sinking in the polling numbers. There's a new poll out today that shows that young support for Bernie Sanders is beginning to wane, which is why Elizabeth Warren is starting to, is starting to think about the possibility of, of gaining the nomination, or at least a VP nomination. According to a new Morning Consult poll, Sanders' support among people between the ages of 18 and 29 has dropped from 45% in March all the way down to 33% in May. That's devastating for him. If he loses that young support, I'd always assume that his support was durable. If that support ends up not being durable, that's a serious problem for him. Where is that support going? Well, apparently, virtually all of it is going to Joe Biden. Biden continues to basically run a very quiet campaign. He is not gaffing very often. All he has to do is shut up and wait for the other Democrats to kill each other. And that seems to be what is happening at this point. I'm surprised that other Democrats aren't attacking Biden already. But Biden is, is right now the front runner. So Bernie, flailing for attention, he continues to say things like he wants to get rid of the private insurance industry entirely in health care. Um, you're talking about Medicare for all. Uh, you're in the second largest insurance capital in the country here in Des Moines. And a lot of people, there are people who would like to keep their private insurance. Um, is that possible under that plan? No, I think right now what we should appreciate is that every year, many, many millions of people lose their health insurance because they uh, leave their jobs uh, 
or because their um, employer changes their insurance policies. I think what most Americans feel is that Medicare currently, which applies to people 65 years of age or older, is a very strong program. It is a popular program. Okay, so he continues to push an agenda that most Americans are simply not going to embrace. Also, he is now pushing for a credit card interest rate cap limit, which makes no economic sense. I understand that it's pandering, and I understand that free stuff for everybody is basically his agenda, but the fact that both he and AOC are now pushing for the idea that you are going to cap credit card interest rates, it's, it's a disastrously stupid idea. And even folks at CNN are saying so. Okay, the, Diego Zuluaga, who's a policy analyst at Cato Institute, so he's a conservative, but he's writing for CNN Business, he says, back in the early 1900s, progressives helped drive loan sharks out of business by lobbying to lift state usury caps. Those caps had barred lenders from charging interest rates above 6 to 10% a year, forcing low-income Americans to seek credit in the illegal market. Now, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders want to bring back a similar usury law. And that's exactly what will happen. All that will happen is that low-income people who have bad credit will not be able to get any credit. The reason you charge a high interest rate is because you believe there will be default. If you don't believe there will be default, then I can shop around for the lowest interest rate. You want to destroy the credit markets, this is a pretty easy way to do so. All this stuff, most Democratic policy at this point is popular on the surface, and then if you scratch it with a thumbnail, then it is unpopular underneath. The same thing is true with regard to Joe Biden and his new push for environmental revolution. According to the New York Times, Joe Biden defended his record on climate change on Monday and called for a green revolution that is rational and affordable. He also talked about breaking up big companies like Facebook, and he derided President Trump's tariffs. He said he was speaking at a New Hampshire pizza restaurant. He pledged to deliver a major speech in detail by the end of May outlining his environmental policies. He says there's a need for an environmental revolution. And then he talked about how he had been mischaracterized because he had said at one point that he was seeking a middle ground in the fight against the planet's warming. Now, if he had actually been seeking a middle ground, that'd be something I think that most people agree with. But he's not seeking a middle ground. Instead, he is pushing ever further to the left. He wants to make your life worse in the name of Bill Nye the Science Guy. So Bill Nye the Science Guy cut a video for John Oliver because, again, everything is about clapter at this point. There's no such thing as laughter on late night television anymore. Now it is all about, I agree with the cause, and so I will pretend this is funny. Bill Nye the Science Guy, looking kind of peaked over here, he did a routine in which he set a globe on fire and cursed a lot, and this was supposed to convince us that we need to, quote-unquote, do something, do something. Here's Bill Nye the Science Guy doing this routine. Here, I, I've got an experiment for you. Safety glasses on. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off, motherfuckers. <laughs> Okay, now, hilarious, hilarious. From John. Okay, there's one problem. Bill Nye never actually talks about what solutions he would recommend. He briefly mentions cap and trade. That ain't going to cut it. Okay, the fact is that if the United States were to cut out all emissions today, if the United States were simply to stop emitting, according to the IPCC report, the, if we cut our emissions to net zero and the sensitivity of the climate is 4.5, which is the highest estimate by the IPCC report, we would cut global warming 
by 0.062 degrees Celsius by 2050 and 0.173 degrees Celsius by 2100. That is simply not going to cut it. If you can see this, here is a chart for our subscribers. Here is a chart of what emissions look like right now. Million tons of carbon emitted. The United States has been on a declining trajectory since basically 2000. China has been skyrocketing. India has been skyrocketing. If you actually wanted to do something to stop emissions this moment, you have to focus on China and India, neither of whom is inclined to cut any of its emissions at the moment. This is really, you know, nonetheless, you know, the Democrats want to make your life worse in order to pursue policies that they have not made even clear. This is, I'm saying now, the flip of what I said about Trump and tariffs earlier. And what I said about tariffs for Trump is at least be honest with the American people, what they are fighting for. If Democrats want to make the case for a policy, you have to explain what the policy does, what the costs are, and be honest with us about it. And then we can assess whether these are good ideas or not. Instead, you just run around shouting about the world on fire, blowing things up, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez talking about the world ending in 12 years, and then claiming yesterday that she wasn't being literal about that. You know, none of that is going to get the job done. You actually want to come to solutions? How about proposing some actual solutions rather than sloganeering nonsense? Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So this weekend, John Wick 3 is coming out. So I will, I will freely say I've been wrong about a great many things in my career. Happens all the time. I say things I regret. I do things I regret. One of the things I regret most is when I first saw John Wick, I did not appreciate it for the masterpiece that it is. This was a big mistake. John Wick is great. When I first saw it, I didn't get it because I was like, oh, so a dog got killed. That's sad. But then I watched it again and I was like, this is terrific. This is terrific. So John Wick 3 is coming out. And the original trailer, it's well worth watching it. I've gotten my wife to watch with me John Wick and John Wick 2, which is why she's a fantastic wife. Here is what the original trailer looks like. Nice ride. Thanks. How much? Excuse me. How much for the car? She's not for sale. You have good day, sir. Daisy. Okay, so it's pretty great, and it's pretty worth watching. So go check out John Wick 1, check out John Wick 2, and I'm going to go see it this weekend. Also, Keanu Reeves seems like sort of a charming fellow in his interviews. Uh, he seems like actually a thoughtful dude, which is kind of shocking. Okay, so I really enjoy it, and I think you will too. Take it for what it's worth, which is it starts off really dark and serious, and then it kind of turns into comic book territory, and that's when it gets fun. Okay, time for another thing that I like. So another thing that I like today, Bill de Blasio wants to run for president, and he went to Trump Tower for some sort of speech, and he got heckled by the left, and it was hilarious because he is just bad at running his, he, he's just bad at, at running his city, and people in his own city are yelling at him. I think could be a grounds for compromise is physically limiting the speed of e-bikes and making them similar to the pedal. So he just got heckled so continuously over and over and over again. So, you know, that, that is exactly what Bill de Blasio deserves. He's a terrible mayor of New York. And the fact that he has national aspirations is hilarious. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. All righty. So the view Okay, Meghan McCain has the world's hardest job. You know, it's sometimes this job is hard, 
right? Very often my job is great. Sometimes my job is hard. Meghan McCain has a rough job pretty much every day. She has to go in on The View and deal with people who do not understand the points that she makes, think that she's a lesser person for making them. So she was defending Georgia's heartbeat law, a heart, the heartbeat bill. The heartbeat bill basically says once a baby has a heartbeat, week six, you can't kill it. Right? That's what the heartbeat bill says. It does not criminalize miscarriage, as some lying journalists might say. It, doesn't, it is not barbaric. It is not dark ages. It is none of those things. The bill does not criminalize for women abortion even, meaning that it criminalizes abortion for abortion doctors. Women don't go to jail under this law. But here's Meghan McCain defending it and The View losing their ever-loving minds over all of this. When again, all the law is recognizing is the personhood, the human life that is in the womb and that it should be protected. And this is simply too much for the ladies of The View. I always feel like pro-life women are just completely left out of conversations like this but, in one way or another. And it doesn't even occur to her that there are women like me out there that don't have a problem well, with this Well, let's talk bill. about the men instead of the women. Sure. Let's talk about why are men having such a war against women? Why is the Republican Party try, trying to set women back 50 years or 75 years? Why do they want us to go back to the kitchen barefoot and pregnant? Why? What are they so it's not, threatened it's not what by? I want. It's a difference of the way you view life. If you believe it starts at conception or if you believe that it doesn't. For me, I believe that life starts at but conception. But they want to regulate my body. Why don't they regulate guns, for example? They thing, don't do that. It's the right, same right. people. Yeah, cheer. Whoa. Why don't they regulate guns? They just want to put women back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. The fact that these sorts of slogans are persuasive on the left, the fact that what Meghan McCain says there is eminently correct. This is a difference on the, on the worth of human life, the assessment of the worth of human life when it begins. At least have an objective debate on that. At least have some sort of discussion on that rather than just levering charges, levying charges at people that their, that their position is based on barbarism and bigotry. And yet the, the fact that Joy Behar is considered some sort of intellectual shining light for many of the people who watch The View is pretty astonishing. Honestly, Meghan McCain has a rough job. Good for her for going into the lion's den every day. And it is just another indicator that there are badly motivated people on the left who are more interested in the slogans associated with their political positions than they are in actual discussions about the issues themselves. They'd rather just shout they'd rather just shout about how a law is bad than explain why the law is bad or face up to the arguments as to why the law is good in the first place. All right, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of show. Also, we'll be back here tomorrow. So, we'll see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro show. This is the Ben Shapiro show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Attorney General William Barr appoints a U.S. attorney to look into the origins of the Russia investigation because Mueller time is over and now it's time to pay the Barr tab. Democrat Representative Rashida Tlaib talks about the calming Holocaust and we might go to war with Iran. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 